Welcome to the Conduit Deeper podcast, a podcast that takes a deep dive into the details that surround our current sermon series. From current events to fascinating finds to conversations that take us deeper into the Word. Thanks for joining us. Welcome to our Deeper Podcast. My name is Mo, Executive Pastor, and joined with our lead pastor, Darren Tyler. And Darren, it is it is Resurrection Sunday week. Yes. Also known as Easter Sunday. And can we talk about, just for a second, Easter, the name Easter. Okay, so churches, <laughs> this is a whole thing. I didn't know you were going to go here. I didn't either. It just popped in my head, and so we're going to roll with it. Because there, there is obviously a history for the name Easter, and we obviously celebrate the, the, the life of Christ, his resurrection. That is what follows Passover is the resurrection of Christ. Now, the pagan world jumped on that. And over time and over culture, it has, it has turned into Easter as the holiday, the, the, the word Easter. Most people don't realize or understand the history with the word Easter. True. And so the word Easter is really a derivative of Ishtar. Right. Um, who essentially was a uh, like a, what, a sex goddess of some sort, fertility goddess. Yeah, that's where the rabbits come in. And so that turned into the symbology of rabbits because they procreate so much and so often. Mm-hmm. Isn't that wild that over time that it is, you know, going all the way down the rabbit hole, no pun intended, into, <laughs> into this. Into this word Easter, feel free to make up your own joke. In eggs and yeah, all, like it's bizarre. If you really think of, I don't know how many people have stopped to really think about what you know the the customs and the the holidays and the way we celebrate things. Um, but this is one of them that most people maybe not realize. So, our old friend Constantine, he's an old one, um, Roman Emperor three hundred ish was getting ready i mean they were they were about to lose a war and he made a pact with christians uh which many attribute to being the reason why they were able to win this war and it was around then that constantine uh declared that he was a christian and, and so they're there are many who would think that he only did that in order to gain political. Yeah, not unfamiliar with that. Uh, <laughs> Sounds familiar. Strategy. Sounds familiar, does it not, right? But one of the things that Constantine had a problem with was he had uh, a lot of pagans that did not like Christians and a lot of Christians that did not like pagans. And both of them had um, their holidays, like the winter solace and... Uh, the, the pagan side of that, and then Ishtar. And so he actually married these two traditions together, uh, which we now call Christmas, which is why we December uh, celebrate December 25th. It's a couple of days after the shortest day of the year, the you know, the yeah. winter solstice. That's right. And then he combined uh, Easter and Ishtar. And so the rabbit and the eggs, those all have very pagan uh, 
histories to them. 100%, yeah. And uh, our Christmas trees have those. There's actually mentions of those in the scriptures of yeah. uh, the trees that are lit. And, um, but that was his attempt to try to marry the two together to bring peace to the world. Now, it, it's why, uh, you know, our Jehovah Witness friends, and then there are actually many, you know, traditional Christians. Like we have one family. I don't think they attend uh, conduit any longer, but they would sit out during December because we'd put up a Christmas tree and Christmas lights, and I respect that. Uh, don't agree with it, but I respect it. I respect it, you know, way more than, you know, some of the hardcore progressive sides of things. But um, for me, where we come down on it is that uh, this is our we've redeemed like nobody today is putting a Christmas tree up in their room thinking that they are, you know, to the ancient gods, pagan, you know, we, the evergreen, you know, speaking of the everlasting life of Jesus and the lights, the light of the world, like we, we've redeemed and taken Like we've sort of hijacked their holiday, so to speak. Yeah. Um, but Easter is one of those. I mean, that's why, you know, uh, Again, with the the fertility, the rabbits. I mean, if you've ever, uh, I don't know if you know this. I raised rabbit. I don't know if I've ever talked about this. <laughs> you you had a, like a rabbit farm. I had I raised rabbits. Um, uh, fourth, fifth, sixth grade. Really sold them for meat. Oh gosh, I know they ta- they did not taste like chicken. But uh, but you know, white trash people. You know, rabbits are pretty cheap. I don't know that we ever made any money on them. I will say this, none of them ever laid any eggs, uh, but we, yeah, anyway, rabbits, you know, <laughs> they, 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 have, they breed like crazy. They make lots of babies, very fertile. It's just so interesting, the, just the symbology and how, you know, American culture, I guess it's worldwide, but even, you know, American culture has just jumped all over it from a marketing standpoint over the past probably 50 to 70 years. right. To where, I mean, that's like obviously the forerunning thought for Easter is eggs and candy and rabbits and the Easter bunny. And, <laughs> and You're not going to be old enough to remember this at all. But there was a very, very expensive, very over budget film that released in 1987. And I was like everybody from Warren Beatty to Dustin Hoffman, Simon and Garfunkel. Whatever. It was called Ishtar. Really? It was terrible <laughs> it it bombed at the box office but it um it was a it was a movie that you loved because you hated it like that would, friends of mine would sit around and well, we would we would partake of beverages and and watch ishtar uh because it was so bad it was good um but Ishtar in that setting was like a, a country uh, neighboring Morocco, and it was just horrible. But but that was the first time I'd ever heard of Ishtar, and I mm. couldn't Google back then. I'm like, what the heck is Sure. And then I realized later, oh, they were just taking a play out of the pagan, you know, background of that. But uh, I don't recommend it. It's uh, it's yeah. a really stupid movie. But uh, but yeah, Ishtar, Ishtar, like it's actually from the same word. Yeah. Well, we're, we are heading into uh, our our. Easter weekend, right, and which we we understand what that what that means. That is Resurrection Sunday. Uh, we are having a we are hosting a Seder Passover dinner per se um, this week for our Conduit kids families, which is which is great. Obviously, Good Friday is Friday, and then we have our first service um, Saturday evening, and then a full slate of services on Sunday morning. As we head into the Easter story, we've been in John, the book of John, the Believe series. 
specifically John 11, the story of Lazarus. You picked up where I left off. Yep. Right in, I believe, verse 16, 15, 16, 17. 17, yeah. I dropped a little bit of the verse 16 in just to help set the tone, but it was 17 through yeah. 43 or something like that, 37. Yeah. And it's it's really kind of addressing the, you know, why Jesus was took his time to get to Mary and Martha. And, and you, you kind of dove into the feelings that Mary and Martha would have had around this. And obviously Lazarus in this story, at this point of the story, Lazarus has become ill and he's died. Mm-hmm. He's dead. And they're... They have feelings around that. Like, why? Why did you wait? Why are you? Why are you not here? Yeah. Why did you not heal my brother? Um, so this, the story of Lazarus is, is obviously um, powerful, and we're kind of going through this story a section at a time because it reveals some things. Yeah. For us, coming into Resurrection Week, it's poignant to. Because this is where, I mean, Jesus in just a few days is himself going to be resurrected. But this is poignant that on his way in, in fact, the the actual resurrection of Lazarus was the final straw. Like in the final verses of chapter 11, it says that, and from then on, they sought they were going to kill him. Yeah, the Pharisees had had about enough. Yeah. Yeah, their response to he raised somebody from the dead was not, we probably should figure out what's going on with this guy. It was, we got to kill him. Um, But leading up to that, of course, Martha, Mary did not know that he was going to raise Lazarus from the dead. All they knew was he wasn't there when they needed him. All they knew was when they needed him most, maybe that he was nowhere to be found. And in fact, not only was he nowhere to be found, he was late and they knew he was late. They knew how far away he was. Not that far. Right? And it wasn't like he could text them, you know, send them an email or drop a call to say, hey, I'm going to be a couple days late. They're sitting there in their sadness. 90 minutes away. Yeah. And you could tell yourself a lot of stories when you are, when you're sitting alone. You know what I mean? Like when you are sitting and waiting for God, waiting for whatever, like you can tell yourselves, I can tell myself a lot of stories that are, Mm. you know, what happened. What's I I remember that when when my mom was um, in 2008, my mom was diagnosed with cancer. It was uh, July of 2008. And. You know, I was scheduled to go to Africa and a month later in August, and I was I was even trying to make decisions. Do I go? Do I not? Do I? Um, but you know, but I sat there in the room with her while she was sick. She was unconscious for most of it. She actually died two weeks later. But you know, when you're sitting by yourself, when you're sitting in sadness and sorrow, you can tell yourself a lot of stories. Now they may not be true, but they're you know, they're stories that you can tell yourself in your mind. And a hundred percent, that's had to be what they were doing is telling themselves stories. I can imagine Mary and Martha thinking, man, I, we don't have the relationship with Jesus that we thought we did. Yeah. Because they were super close. Yeah. In fact, John starts out in chapter 11, he loved, like the one he loved is what the Jews said. You see how he really loved him. But early on, Jesus, like two different times in chapter 11, it specifically talks about how much Jesus loved them as yeah. a family. Yeah. And for, for him to not come when they asked 
had to had to cut deep. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, as Jesus finally does make his way towards them, which I, I'm still fascinated with the fact that it was it was only it was only an hour and a half away, <laughs> yeah, roughly um, on on foot, of course. Um, once he finally starts to make his way towards them, it's Martha that greets him. Yes. Uh huh. Yeah. At the gate. Well, so outside the village. So these were small villages, by the way. Yeah. You know, like when we when we were in Monoje, like in Haiti, like we would we need that's you have to think more in terms of that kind of a village. Mm-hmm. Um, even Jerusalem was a fraction of the size that it was, but for that time it was a big city. But for you know for modern times, it, but it says that he he got to the uh, to Bethany, but waited outside of the village. Them, which is another little thought of like, wait a minute. So he, he he came there, and then he still didn't go all the way. Yeah, to him. But she, you know, it's, when Martha heard, it says that she, yeah, she ran out to find him and to and to meet with him. And Mary stayed home. Yeah. So how do we how do we deal with the waiting? I guess I, I, one of the things that's been kind of percolating um, amongst our faith community is, you know, really balancing out what's happening in the world. And so much um, frustration and chaos, evil, things that are pushing up against our faith and feeling like, you know, maybe (laughs) feeling like God's not responding in a way that would help curb some of the crazy, Mm -hmm. right? Like, like there's just so much happening in culture right now, Um, narratives agendas, things that are pushing back and marginalizing um, faith communities in a lot of ways. Yeah. And it feels like there's a silence. It, it can feel that way. It may not be true. These are the stories we're telling ourselves. Mm-hmm. Silence from God, right? We silence say. from God. Yeah. And in, 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 in dealing with it. Like, it's a lesson in his long suffering in a lot of ways. But man, how long? How long do we have to suffer? Yeah. Yeah, the... um the saints in Revelation who were under the under the throne and crying out, how long, O Lord, before you avenge us? You know, that's a cry. And it's, to me, it's a cry from someone inside of a time domain to someone outside of a time domain. Interesting. We are linear in time, yeah. and God is outside of time. It's one of the greatest discoveries in modern science was Einstein's dis- discovery that time was created. Like it's a, it's a, a construct. It was, it was actually created. Wow. Yeah. True. And so when you live outside of time, it's why, why the scriptures tell us, right. That Jesus before the, was, was being slain before the foundations of the earth. And then Revelations tells us that when Revelations plural Revelation tells us that when we see him, we will see him as a lamb having just been slain. Like that doesn't make any sense unless you're outside of time. Mm. And a day is like a thousand years, a thousand years is like a day. And so we inside of ours, it what seems like forever is uh, it's barely a, a, a glimmer of a yeah. blink in eternity. But 
on the practical side, we do live inside of a time domain. And inside of the time domain, Mary and Martha waited two days. And by the way, by the time Jesus left, Lazarus was already dead. It was almost like he was waiting. I, I would have to go back and read it again, but it, I, I want to say that he mm-hmm. he waited until Lazarus died, then got up and left. Like yeah, that's what he was waiting for. Yeah. Like if you wonder what he was waiting for, he was waiting for him to die. Because mm. if he showed up and didn't heal him and then he died, you know, this was, you know, by not showing up and then, you know. But point being the whole, you know, the whole story of that was that so that the glory of God could be uh, revealed. And on the one hand, from a purely human position that feels like uh, masochistic. Sure. I'm sorry, sadistic. Mm-hmm. Which, by the way, atheists would say, like that's part of the atheist, even that Jesus' death would be cosmic child abuse. How could a God, you know, how could any father kill his own son? Like it's a, from our purely earthbound thinking course they skipped the part where the bible tells us that it was god in christ so it wasn't the 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 trinity that we cannot possibly understand but god was in christ it was god killing himself so to speak in earthly form so it wasn't like he just sent his son and beat him he was in his son in that moment so when it comes to the glory of god it helps if we actually know what the meaning of the word glory is which is not just so that we all sing glory to God in our songs, right? That's uh, a verb in the same way like if I say I hug you, Shannon, I hug you, Shannon, and she's standing right there, it's patently ridiculous. Yeah. So glory to God is like saying I hug you, God, I hug you, God, and not doing anything. But glory to God is... It's Stephen B. Hawking's the the meaning of everything is God, and that is true in biology. It's true in uh, microbiology and physics. Uh, it's astrophysics, like dark matter. Like the, the the more science has come along, the more we find out there's just something out there holding this whole universe together that we don't know, can't identify. We built a large hadron collider to try to identify it, called it the God particle for crying out loud. Yeah. The, the glory of God is the meaning of everything. And so if we take a step back from my little, my, you know, my little myopic life and say that God's glory is the weight, the purpose, the meaning, that me going through suffering isn't just to get him to feel better about himself. It's because it makes me into who I was, who, who he knows I can be. I mean, think about it from you, Mo, like from your perspective, I know, I know a lot of your story in the music world and in your previous world for that matter. Right. And you've gone through some, some crap we all have, but would you be who you were or are right now without it? Like <laughs> who would you be if you didn't ever have any of that? Right. Yeah, I mean that's the that's the the beautiful misery of it all. <laughs> it's like what what takes you through the fire 
is what strengthens you. You know, all of those, all those instances of broken dreams and betrayal and all of these things, um, really do purge and refine your character. It refines, uh, the, the, the selfish parts of our hearts and really does make you stronger in your faith and point you back to him every single time. Yeah. There's this interview that it's been a while since I've seen it, but it was Anderson Cooper and Stephen Colbert, neither of which I would uh, <laughs> yeah, put down as uh, influences in my spiritual walk. But a lot of people don't know this about Colbert, but A, he's a, uh, he's a Catholic boy. Uh, apparently not a very good Catholic because he's super pro-abortion. But he lost his father and brother in a plane crash when he was a little boy. Yeah, I remember that telling that story and he looked at Anderson Cooper and said you know one of the things I'm going to paraphrase this but that, that helped him get it was when he finally got to the point in his life where he became thankful for the thing he wished happened the least mm. um, because that thing mm. that he wished happened the least in his life made him into who he is and it's a paradox and I remember Anderson Cooper actually got cry, was tearing up, going, "Do you really? Yeah. Do you really believe that?" And, and I would say this: if without God, okay, without my belief in God, that's not a belief that you can hold, not not credibly or not intellectually, honestly. Because without God, this world is all there is. And not everybody goes on to become an internationally known television star after their father dies in a plane crash. Not everybody does. But in Christ, knowing that there is a big picture, there's the glory of God in all of the universe, that I can credibly say that I can be thankful for the thing that I wish happened the least to me. Mm. Because it, uh, you know, I would say that I am a medium user of the gymnasium. <laughs> not as frequent as you would like, perhaps? No, 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 not even kind of. My son, on the other hand, uh, super committed to the gym. Yeah. And the gym is really about one thing, and that is causing yourself pain. Mm-hmm. Pushing against resistance, something yeah. that... If you don't push this up, it will it will come down and crush and kill you. But that's where strength is born. So good. Uh, and you know he he was in trying on his prom uh, suits last night. Got to tell you, he's gonna look pretty uh, drip. Is that Caleb? Is that <laughs> is that what they look now? Is he gonna slay lit? <laughs> he uh this uh, we're guessing this pink suit pink but he put it on like with his uh jacket without a shirt on oh uh because he was just trying it on i was like hello like bro you like you got like a 20 pack man you've been like he, you know his chest muscles are finally popping out and all basically all i can see is costco chicken bill uh that's true like i own all of that, that i don't know how Jeez, he's man. in for a rude awakening when he's out buying his own chicken no kidding you know what i'm saying but but point being that that what has made him strong was suffering yeah, and making yourself do something you don't want to do, 
Now, we as humans, for the most part, most of us are not like Ethan, where we will go and do that willingly. And so Mm -hmm. our father, who loves us enough, will take what the enemy means for harm. This is what the whole thing is. The enemy meant this for harm. I'm going to use it for good. He's going to throw the weight at us. And as we resist it, it's going to make us stronger. And it's really as simple and as complex as that. And so Mary and Martha, when they experienced this resurrection, it caused revival in their lives. But what, it, what, what kept them was not the resurrection itself. It was the suffering leading up to the resurrection. Because Mary and Martha, think about it, who was at the cross when Jesus died? Like everybody yeah. abandoned him. Yeah. Everybody. But not Mary and Martha. Yeah. And they were there because they were stronger because of what they had just experienced. They had experienced immense suffering, immense sorrow. And I don't think it was the resurrection that brought them to the cross. I think it was the death because it was the hurt and the pain. And they realized they were stronger than they thought. They realized Jesus loved them more than they knew. And that was what drove them to the courage. Resurrection brings revival. Uh, suffering brings strength. Yeah. And that's a probably cold comfort when you're in the middle of it. But I would challenge and say, I want to be careful because people have, people have suffered immense things. And there's this idea that nobody wants to hear that in the middle of suffering. Oh, you're going to be stronger or whatever, you know. And I get that. So I want to be careful. But in your own heart, even though you don't want other people to say that to you, I would encourage anyone of anybody listening now, anybody listening in the future, that when those, not if, but when those moments come, remind yourself of that very thing. I hate this. I'm sad. This is not about ignoring the pain. It's not about ignoring the sorrow. But it is at least giving you the acknowledgement, the hope, um, the, the, the five steps of, uh, of grief, mm-hmm. uh, the five stages that they talk about, anger, you know, acceptance, denial, first time we start, denials first, anger. Well, but I think acceptance is the last one, but the, 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 the people that authored that, and I cannot remember their names, in recent years have said they were wrong. There's not five, there's six. And the sixth one is giving it, giving purpose wow. to it. Because otherwise you're stuck in a perpetual grief uh, spiral. But once you can give it purpose, and that's what God allows us is give us purpose for it. And the purpose is trustworthy because this world is not all there is. If this world is all there is, then it isn't that great. There are way too many believers in history and presently that are dying alone in prisons uh, for their faith. They don't get to write a New Testament book. Nobody knows their names. But God does. And so eternity allows us to have the big, there is a purpose for this. This will not be wasted on on this world. Yeah. You ever been stuck in a traffic jam recently? Buddy, I live in Nashville. Golly, right? I've driven to Florida, man, on, on a spring break week. Like, <laughs> <laughs> That's true. Port-au-Prince. <laughs> I remember being stuck in a traffic jam one time. Uh, it was probably downtown area. It might have might have been Nashville for all I, all I know. But I remember sitting in a traffic jam, so frustrated, stuck, not able to go anywhere. It was summer. It was so hot. Wasn't a great vehicle, so my AC wasn't working well. And I'm just sitting there. 
for lack of a better phrase, suffering. <laughs> right? I mean, if you're in a traffic jam and you're trying to get somewhere and it's the middle of summer and it's hot, like, it's and your car's not moving, it's like one of the, it's just terrible. Right. Because you have no idea what's going on. You're like, when is this going to stop? Like, or when are we going to start? Like, I've got places to be, and then people are honking and cutting over, and it's just confusion and chaos. But I remember seeing a helicopter fly over, and I had my radio on, news radio, and the helicopter starts to report what's going on up ahead. Because he could see what was going on oh, up ahead. Oh, yeah, I see what you're doing there, yeah. And was explaining, hey, look. We got an accident in the left-hand lane. All the cars need to merge to the right. It's only about a mile up, and it's, you're clear. Yeah. And besides the the obvious, you know, um, excitement that I had knowing, like, this was all going to come to an end soon, it was like this beautiful word picture for um, for our faith and for, for moments of suffering. Yeah. Because when you're in the moment, you're stuck on the ground level of this thing that you're going through. You have no answers. You have no clarity. You don't understand what's going yeah, on. That's a really great word. That's a big, good picture, mental picture. But in 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 the glory, in the ex, which can mean exalted state up high, mm-hmm. that pilot could could describe, could see, could give clarity, could give hope, could give all of those things that I couldn't understand on the ground level. Yeah, and. Ooh boy, that'll preach. Yeah, and that's and that that's a that's a perspective I think we need to carry. Yeah, at all times. Were you with me? Oh, you've been with me once in Haiti at least. But there's moments when we would drive through Port-au-Prince. <laughs> oh man, were you there at the time? I don't know if it was you or not. Where there was water in the streets that was literally up to like the wheel wells of our car. It had rained, and so we're literally thousands of people walking in need and thigh deep water. Yeah. Traffic is completely stopped. Yeah, I w- that's one. Of, that was the trip I was on, and I couldn't believe what was happening. The, and I'll, I don't know if I've said this out loud because I try not to say out loud things there because I don't want to. I'm in that moment. I'm the flight attendant, you know, like we talk about on the plane. Like, <laughs> right. just watch the flight attendant. If they're not freaking out, no need to freak out. Yeah, right? yeah, stay calm. So in that world, I'm kind of the flight attendant. But there's inside of me going, oh man, we might uh, we might grow old here. Like I might just put a a post office box outside and just start taking mail here because I don't think we're ever going to leave this moment. Like it was when we didn't have a drone or any helicopter up ahead. And, uh, but is the, 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 I'm just reminded of that because there's that frustration of, I don't know what's going on. Yeah. Like for all I know, it's just classic Haiti and there's just some dump truck dumping a rock on the road for no good reason. Or there's a civil war. Like I didn't know there could have been either one of those things or something in between. And, and then eventually we, the car's moving, and there was absolutely didn't seem to be any reason at all for it. We were just like, well, that, that didn't make any sense at all. But when you think about it in our terms of Earth, like our, I mean, our view is super myopic and super ground level. And when you cast your vision to what's going on in in our country, it seems extraordinarily hopeless to many people for the first time in my lifetime anyway maybe it actually seems like both sides of the political spectrum both feel hopeless yeah like angry angry hopeless i was watching um the robert f k kennedy robert f kennedy um three-part or four-part doc 
on his murder. And I, so, so, of course, it's against the backdrop of Lyndon Johnson and Martin Luther King and Malcolm X. And, you know, it, when you listen to the people being interviewed in between, like people on the streets or the politicians, they were using language like, I don't know what's going on with our country, man. Our country's gone off the rails. It seems like, you know, everybody's shooting everybody. It seems like, you know, you get, you know, everybody's getting assassinated. And I was like, wow, if that, that is 50 years later, the same thing again. I, I will say this. I didn't feel that in the 80s and 90s. Uh, 80s, I might have been too young. But 90s, I was hyper aware of what was going on. And, you know, our big thing then was, you know, you got, uh, you know, the president getting... Boy, we're broadcasting. He had a friend in the White House under his desk. Um, that that seemed to be the biggest, yeah, you know, thing. We all knew Hillary was weird and evil even back then, but um, but now I look back and go, man, I really wish we could go back to that day. Sure. <laughs> and so I don't know if this is like one of those cycles of the Strauss Howe theory of where we're on the back end of a seventy-five year uh, period. Um, I will say this, when you listen to people, I was listening to the Michael Schellenberger interview with Rogan. I don't know if you've listened to that. I haven't yet. Schellenberger is a fascinating guy, uh, not by no means is a conservative. He's a San Francisco uh, liberal. And, but, but he wrote a book, oh gosh, I can't remember what it's called. Oh gosh, just Google Michael Schellenberger, Global Warming. He wrote a book like in 2018 or 19, basically, uh, just shooting down all the quote-unquote science around what we're told to accept as true of global warming. And, of course, you do that in the liberal world, and you are a pariah and, yeah. you know, heretic. But the, the point of sharing that is that they both have this feeling that it's going to be okay because people, America's been okay before. We've done this again, and we've done it, and we'll be okay because we were okay the last time, which is a great hope. <laughs> right. Except that it's uh, not, uh, I believe in the big short, there was a, uh, there's this theory of, I can't remember what it's called, but in gambling, there's a, 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 an effect that people, just because it happened this way before, I'm going to bet more this time because I keep winning and, but, but basically past wins do not indicate future opportunities. Yeah. And there was a little bit of that effect going on with that because they don't know that, but that's their idea is that, well, surely somebody's going to figure this out. Um, and, and here's the thing. They might be right, but they have nothing to base that on. And, and our only basis is, is God. And it doesn't mean that our country survives. Like there's no promise in scripture of that. And that doesn't sell books. Like I couldn't get on a bestseller list saying, I don't know if our country is going to survive or not. I, I just don't know. There's no biblical promise that it does. I would go so far as to say that if you believe in a, you know, future uh, version of a biblical prophecy, uh, America's not in that at all. So something has happened. Now, whether that just means that we are like, you know, Finland and worthless or, or whether we are, you know, rubbing sticks together and living off of silver coins, I don't know what it is. I just know that there's no guarantee of that. And so the, the, the stupidity that we would have, I, we have, I could have as a believer is that, A, that by following Jesus that I'll never have any problems on this earth, right? That's just a false expectation because he actually promised we would. All who are godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. Like that's a promise, 
right alongside, oh, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens him. Um, which, by the way, was in the context of I've had much, I've had little, uh, I've been free, I've been in prison, I could have, but in all those things I can have joy. And the way I can do that is through, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That's the context of what Paul is writing. So, so we don't know what's going to go down here. Uh, but what we do know is we serve a Jesus that in the middle of that, I mean, the backdrop of Lazarus being resurrected, Rome is burning to the ground. I mean, Rome is in trouble by this point. Paganism and evil, it doesn't mean we bow to it. It doesn't mean that we're quiet about it. But it also means it cannot derail us from our calling and from our uh, our day-to-day, like you say, man, just our own families. Like, start with your own families. Yeah, I'm, I'm not a... I'm not a strong in the history as I want to be, but I would be curious to study, and maybe maybe you know, I mean, you're, you're way more proficient in history than, than even I am. Um, I would love to know kind of the, the, the precipice and the, the tone of the country leading up to the Civil War and compare that to, to, to today. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it may not be as, uh, as stark of a a contrast as maybe I think it is. I, I don't know. But the, the main difference today is the ins, um, the prevalence of technology Yeah. in terms of algorithms, media, and artificial intelligence mm-hmm. that influence what we think, believe, and understand. Yeah. It's, 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 this, it's kind of a weird conversation, maybe a weird thing to think about or study, uh-huh. but I'd be interested to, to, interested to know kind of how everything, what comes around goes around, it feels like. Like it's circular in our history, like you talked about. Uh, what is it, four to five generations, things kind of yeah, every c- circle. Every 75 years, yeah. Um, but it's, it's been longer than years. 75 to 80 years since the Civil War, per se. I'm not I'm not saying we're on the, the leading edge of a Civil War, but we yeah. are in a ideological Civil War. I would I would feel confident in stating that. Well, it was 80 years between the Civil War and World War II. It's been 80 years between World War II and and right now. Okay. So, yes. You know, and the 80 is not like a hard and fast rule, but it's it's, it's close enough. I mean, uh, Mark Bourgeois, a resident financial expert, told me uh, March of 2020 that every year, uh, this is, he didn't know anything about Strauss-Howe theory. This is just just common knowledge amongst economics. Yeah. Economists is that uh, every 75 years, there's a currency, a global currency reset. And we are- (laughs) Here we are. Five years overdue for a global currency reset. Yeah. Um, And to that point, obviously, if- if you're paying attention in the in in the news cycle, there there's plenty of conversation about currency happening right now. Yeah, because the last currency reset was the U.S. dollar is the international currency, mm-hmm. and you shared an article with me yesterday that you know I thought it was just Kenya, but it's way more than that. Yeah, so BRICS, B-R-I-C-S, BRICS currency. Which is Brazil, Russia, South Africa, India. India. Who's the C? Um, The C is, oh yeah, China. China, of course. Yeah, Brazil, Russia, India, China, and South Africa are working on a collective. It's the BRICS collective. South Africa's in that. And South Africa is the the S in BRICS, B-R-I-C-S. Take notes, research it, and read about it yourself. Um, but their their goal here, and this has happened, this is happening in this, in the past week, in a half, 
Um, well, it's it's been going on for a while, this collective, but they're starting to make moves. You noticed that China and Russia, um, Xi Jinping and um, Putin met, was it two weeks ago? Um, there's all kinds of meetings happening, and their goal is to dethrone the U.S. dollar, to move into their own currency, or um, replace it with the, the yuan. Is that how you pronounce it? Um, or the rupee, perhaps. The rupee? The in, is that India's it's currency? India. I, yeah. I would bet my left arm that they don't go rupee. There's there's a lot of conversation about the rupee Interesting. and the yuan. Um, the fact of the matter is the dollar's share of global foreign exchange uh, fell below 59% um, oh of, of the overall how, how big use. Of a, how big of a fall is that? Do you it's like... It's 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 over ten percent. Um, it used to it used to trend like in the seventy percent range. And just in case you don't know, I, I, I assume everybody does, but just in case, what what the global currency means is that if you are say Guatemala, you're buying oil from um, Saudi Arabia, you have to convert your quetzales to U.S. dollars to make the purchase, and that has bolstered. Our economy, and the idea being that was 40, 1945, whatever, was that if you're going to take money from another country, you need to make sure that that currency doesn't turn into Zimbabwe money. And so the the dollar, which was backed by the gold standard, uh, was the most stable uh, currency to use. So that's why, again, you're, you're Chile, and you're you're buying goods from China. You convert to U.S. dollars because that U.S. dollar is considered stable. I don't know what the percentage is, but there's got to be a number where if it falls below that, because our, our U.S. dollar, yeah. that, that's literally the only thing that's been bolstering the U.S. dollar. Right. Our $30 trillion in debt, you know, our runaway nutso government spending, uh, we, we have nothing, there's no standard that it's set against other than this is just what we say it's worth. But that has bolstered it. It's, you know, when you talk, of, you know, why is it not already fallen? It's like, well, it's not, it's not a great bet but it's the it's better uh than the peso right it's more trustworthy than that but at this point if these countries pull out of that and choose a new one yeah it's it it's it spells financial disaster is what it spells 18 countries including the uk germany russia and even the united arab emirates have been given permission to trade in indian rupees they they noted economist um, Nuriel Rubini has said that the Indian rupee over time could become one of the global reserve currencies in the world. So there's there's this there's kind of these two, again, two factions per se, or two ideas about new global currency existing either in the rupee or the yuan. Right. And the 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 U.S. dollar is tanking right now. Just something to be aware of. I don't know what we do with that. I don't know how. That impacts us today in April of 23, but it's worth noting and understanding yeah. that there's well, things in motion. Well, what we do with it is just the absolute reality that there are things in this world that are 100% beyond our <laughs> control. Yeah, true. And where most of the fear comes from is that I don't have control over this especially over something I think I had control over and I don't have control over it. And so going back to your statement about the family, control 
the controllables. Yeah. You know? And I, at this point, cannot control, clearly I can't control the global narrative. Um, I can't control, at this point, even the national narrative. That's right. Um, I, I would say that what that tells us, it kind of tells us two things here. One is, we don't know what's happening in our nation. We don't know, right now anyway, is God judging our nation? Is this an example of Israel when God said, you know what, I, I, I'm taking you guys all into captivity, and it's, you know, and it turns out to be 70 years, whatever. Is that what's happening here? Uh, all we know is we know the God in the middle of it all, and we know the God in control of it all, and that whatever Satan is doing in this earth, it's not a surprise to God. And, and theologically, we don't have time in this podcast, but I would go so far as to say that he can't do anything that God won't let him do. Uh, nothing happened to Job that Satan did not get permission from God to do. That's a fascinating thought, and you know, pray about that and, and see what it does for you. But what we can know is in the middle of that, God is in it and with you, and we're on a journey that does not end here. It's why you know Lazarus's resurrection is so important because it was a it, it, it was a, a story, a, a parable for us, so to speak, of that this that none of our lives end, quote unquote, end in death. Um, Jesus, again, just a week later, would be resurrected himself. A different kind of resurrection because Jesus resurrected and never died. Lazarus resurrected and then had to die again. Like, right. I've, already, I've already done this once. Doggone right. it. And I got to do it again. Um, we're all, the Bible, we were appointed, it's appointed under, uh, for man once to die and then judgment, right? And those of us in Christ, our judgment is a judgment of Jesus uh, taking our we're clothed in his righteousness. We're declared innocent because of his work. Those of us who believe will see the glory of God. And so that is all completely taken care of. And it's and, and people might think, okay, that's great, Darren, but what? But the thing about when you say, when you put but in a sentence like that, you got to get off your butt because there is no but. That's it. Yeah. And we're going to be here for a little bit. So how do we live in this world right now? Um, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I'm way more, I'm way more prepper than I let on. <laughs> but I'll tell you. I mean, you remember this, Mo? But I, when the hurricane, when Katrina hit New Orleans, changed me because I saw one disaster in one city, and the the entire weight of the federal government could not fix mm. it. Yeah. And that was just one. What if there's a catastrophe in multiple cities at multiple times? What if, you know, the idea that, 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 that the father wound, right, that I have, which is the I'm on my own, nobody's coming for me, it's a pretty terrible way to live. Mm -hmm. And on the other hand, kind of helpful because I think in a way that says, hey, if nobody's coming for me, what do I need to do? So, for instance, in a situation where there's an armed shooter around. Let's so what happened in Nashville this last week? Um, the police were there in 14 minutes, and everybody was celebrating the 14 minutes. How many more could have been killed had they not have gotten there in 14 minutes? 14 minutes is a long 
time when there is a gunman running through your hallways. Long yeah. time. Eternity. Right? The average Michael Mann, who is a guy that is, I've done, I've done handgun training with Michael Mann three times now, and I want to do a fourth one where he, and he takes you for two days, man. He takes you through the ropes. I mean, because anybody can buy a gun, but, you know, you know, it's hard to shoot and to hit. But point being, I, the average shooting, Michael says uh, he was with SWAT. He was with the military before that. He has designed security things for everybody from Mossad to, like, the nuclear reactor in uh, Oak Ridge. Tennessee. Oak Ridge. Uh, is two minutes. So by the time the police are there, it's over. So, you know, am I advocating everybody goes out and buys a gun and, and, and owns it? I'm not because that's between you and God and your own skill set. I am saying this. If you're going to get a gun, you better darn well know how to use it. Do not. Do not carry a gun into a building or wherever if you don't have training for it. And I'm not talking about the concealed carry permit. If you can't pass a concealed peri, uh, carry test, I mean, it's the, the bar is so low. Yeah. But the point is, is that they're dangerous. Like, you, they really are. So you better know how to use it. And the truth is, is in our world right now, there is plenty of ways to know how to use it. But I have that. I You know that. I carry everywhere I go. Because, you know, in the same way, 99.9% chance that I'm never going to need it, but I also carry a life insurance policy. And my life insurance policy says to the insurance company, I bet them 100 bucks a month that I'm going to die. And they keep winning that bet every month. They've been winning it for 20 or 30 years, you know. <laughs> uh, and I'm okay that they're winning that bet. And when I carry a weapon, I'm carrying it betting that I'm going to need it, and the world keeps winning the bet on it. But, you know, I'm... Uh, I, I know this is, uh, for some people, this is controversial, but look, you know, I, there was a, ch there was a shooting in a church in Texas. Um, remember that like three years ago? Yeah. And this older man stands up in the video and I mean, he took a shot that I wouldn't have taken. He made this dude's head into a canoe. Like he literally made a tunnel through the guy's head from at least 25 to 30 feet. And then later it comes out that, oh, yeah, he's a handgun training expert. Like he actually, <laughs> that's that what dude, he's doing. He knew exactly what he was doing. And that dude who, who didn't, the, the, he did not get his job done that day because somebody there was able to protect himself. So on this side of earth, okay, that's my conviction with the way that I carry myself. I just want to be somebody that doesn't have to be you. In fact, again, I encourage you, if you're not willing to put the work in with your gun, don't even get a gun because you're going to end up killing somebody else and it's just not worth it. But for those that want to be prepared, those that want to be a part of that, I mean, there's that passage where Jesus says, and take your sword with you. There's a lot of controversy around that. But all I know is that for me, that's about protection. Uh, I have a generator in my, I have two generators in my house, and I actually need to get the engines, make sure they're running. I just, I just, I don't trust society enough to not have those things. I don't trust society enough to not have a few months again, Katrina, uh, we have, we've always, I mean, for 20 years now, we've had a few months worth of food in the house of uh, MREs just in case, because I don't trust society enough to take care of us. So it's like, I trust God and God gave me a brain and God gave me, uh, wisdom. And one of the things he did with Joseph with wisdom was saying, Hey, you know what? There's a famine coming and we need to prepare for this yeah. storehouse. And you know, there's this tension because some people think that means go get, you know, build a bunker, bury weapons, build a wall. Um, 
that I can't make that case in Scripture at all uh, because he says to keep going, keep moving, keep going into the world, keeping the nations, not to withdraw behind walls. And on the other hand, take some preparations with you. Be, be with you. Be prepared. You know, you've traveled with me. I carry a satellite phone. I've got Apple AirTags in my shoes in case I get kidnapped. <laughs> you like, almost, they almost decided just to swallow one to see what would happen, just track well, you that way. Well, that's the, <laughs> <laughs> no, but see, that's the plan. Like, I have a I little... I, I'm trying to that. talk you out of that. Cause, well, I didn't know what else to do. Like, if you get kidnapped uh, and you put... Because like, drug people do this. They put them in a balloon and swallow them. Yeah. So, yeah, my plan was, I don't know if you know this, Caleb, but I was going to take an AirTag. I had, it, I had it in a balloon. And the plan was if I was getting kidnapped in uh, Haiti was to swallow the the ear tag. Yeah, good luck. And then hope that I don't yeah. have to go to the bathroom too quickly. <laughs> uh, so anyway, but I'm pre- I'm prepared. Now, is that, I don't know. Is that faith or is that a, a fear? I, I think it's uh, just preparation. Prepared, not scared. Prepared, not scared. You know? That's the main takeaway here. Um, and so I, I think that in the season to come, how do you not – let your joy be stolen. And if if your joy is being stolen, in my opinion, that's you're not spending enough time with Jesus in it. Yeah. You know that what we talked about on Sunday, go to Jesus. That's right. Believe in Jesus, right? Be honest with Jesus. Um, so if you're rattled and scared, you're probably spending too much time on news and not enough time on Jesus. Um, because if, if you're getting informed just to get yourself wound up. Yeah. Yeah, I, I guess we can kind of wrap with this. It's it's a reminder and um, maybe a little homework. We've been, I've been giving out homework lately. You really have. People are going to stop listening. Like, I don't want homework. <laughs> I would encourage you um, in the, in this season right now, if uh, if if you are consumed with current events and the the news, watching mainstream media. Um, I would encourage you to to turn it off, um, to dial it back, and be really present with your family. To be really present with your kids. Um, it is it is important that we are educated, that we are informed of what's happening in the world, that we are aware of current events, that we do not have what I call ostrich syndrome and stick our heads in the sand. Yeah, um, but there is a balance there, right? Yeah, it's informed, not inflamed. That's good. And this is, I doubt there's anybody listening to us that would be listening to something like MSNBC or CNN, but Fox News. <laughs> Both sides are guilty of the same thing. It is, and it's because the business model depends yeah. on it. Yeah. So if their business model depends on you watching, even the idea of like handing the show from show to show. Yes, yeah, so I, I, I was curious of how they were going to handle the, the whole Trump indictment thing yesterday. Yeah. I, I, I rarely ever watch uh, news at all because I know, I feel like I know too much about how the product is run. But I, I was watching it again just to yeah. kind of see how they do their, their, their marketing and their promos and their, 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 what's, what's their fade-ins and fade-outs between shows. And so yeah. there's these buzzwords that they use. So obviously the, the main one is br- breaking news. So breaking news usually followed with an audible ding ding, like a some sort of bell, uh-huh. and then then or or um, special report, 
or they'll use the word alert, alert news. Uh-huh. These are all little segments and segues that they use with audio, audio, audio sounds, whether it's a bell or a buzzer or a flash of a graphic across the screen that provides dopamine hits. It's Pavlov's dog. Oh, a thousand percent. I'm asking if you watch if you watch the news, if you watch CNN, MSB, NBC, Fox, pay attention to the actual programming into what's flashing across the screen, the ticker at the bottom, the adjectives used, the colors used, red, blue. Um, it's all very, very, very intentional Yeah. to keep you watching, to not turn the channel, keep the dopamine, dopamine hits coming for what's next, this breaking thing, this alert. These are all very strategic words to keep you tuned in. And... It creates a sentiment of fear that if I need to keep watching so that I know what's happening, because if I turn away, I'm going to miss, I'm going to miss something. Yeah. I'm not going to know what's getting ready to happen. And so it was wall-to-wall, wall-to-wall coverage of, you know, Trump's thing yesterday, which ended up being in the big picture. Yeah. There's, it's, there's, they're going to get it figured out, but it was yesterday was kind of a nothing burger in the sense of like, it wasn't super dramatic. Like they were drumming it up to be you oh know. yeah for weeks now they're gonna put him in handcuffs none of so that it was a simple arraignment walking. yeah he flew from florida into manhattan he was there for a couple hours literally flew back to his home last night um but man just watching the production of it was like gosh i know people that sit here and watch this all day long and get inflamed not really getting that much informed of what's actually going on, but mm-hmm. incredibly inflamed. And we've got to protect ourselves against that. If, if you want some more homework, <laughs> there's a book that I've talked about, but it's been a while. I read it years ago called Hate Incorporated. Yeah, you've mentioned that. It's by Matt Taibbi. Mm-hmm. And his name has become more known than last oh, year yeah. because of the Twitter files. Matt, for the past 20 years, has been a, a secular liberal writer his rolling stone work is always just i've always loved it he's been fascinating um so the point being he's not quote-unquote one of us but he's honest and this book is uh, a literal takedown of the liberal and conservative media outlets and he exposes the business model and what's happened to them and what's different about walter cronkite and today and Oh, wow. And what, what's important about that, whether you're Rachel Maddow or Bill O'Reilly, there was a business model that has been built and that is out there right now that is literally tearing our country apart because it's inflaming and not informing. And I would recommend it as a, a read because you get a good look. Because at, at that point, I mean, the thing about Pavlov's dog, right, you ring the bell and he, and he responds... We humans, it's the dopamine is the bell with it. And we've got to be smarter. We are smarter than that. Yeah. The people that listen, if you're listening to this, you're smarter than that. Yes. And so there is a way to get informed without getting inflamed. Yeah. And, uh, and it starts with, and this is, I've, I've challenged myself in this last year, especially because I'm a news junkie, (laughs) man. I, I was a 20 year old kid subscribing to the wall street journal. I'm not, I wasn't in wall street. I'm booking rock bands for crying out loud. I, when I was waiting tables, one of the best parts of my morning was when someone would, uh, leave their, uh, leave their New York times behind on the table and I could read it in between shifts and stuff. And I am fascinated by information. Yes. Same. Um, so 
and I'm pretty good at not letting it get me inflamed, but I even had to go, okay, so there's a moment where I now know enough and a moment where I have to say, if I'm getting all of my information from this and I'm not going to Jesus first or at all, yeah, then it doesn't do me any good. It's cotton candy because information is great, but if I don't know what to do about it and where I'm going to know what to do about it is from Jesus. And if I don't spend that time with Jesus, then I don't know what to do about it. And so when it, it's the importance of the Holy Spirit, it's importance of the presence of God in our lives, is that there are things happening in our lives right now that, okay, the Bible says that marriage is between naturally born man and one naturally born woman. And, but what do we do about that in a society? That's where the Holy Spirit's going to have to lead us. We covered a lot this week. We covered a lot this week. And we appreciate those that listen and, and give us some feedback. And um, there's there's a lot happening in our world today. And we we don't cover all of it, but we try to insert it as it makes sense, especially as we go through Scripture, as we go through this series, especially the book of John, and specifically chapter 11, which speaks to a lot of of kind of what we're experiencing here in in the real world today. But what I love about where we're at in the, in, in the book of chapter 11 is this Lazarus story as we head into Easter weekend. And if you live out of state and you're, you're not near here, I hope that you can find time to, to be with some church family this week, that you can spend time uh, remembering and celebrating our faith and the, the risen Christ. Um, what a special time of year that it is. And also, if you're listening to this, we want to give you a little gift. We released a song, Conduit Worship. Oh, that's right. We, we have a gift. Conduit Worship released a little song today, this week, called Abba, Revive Us. And it's wrapped around the idea of this Lazarus story. It's wrapped around the idea of Christ's resurrection that the hope that we find in that will revive us, will give us new life and hope. If you go to conduitchurch.com forward slash revive us, you will be able to download this new song. And it's actually it's actually really good. They did a great job. I was so relieved because, you know, our world before, well, you know when a song's not good. And so it's <laughs> sure. always that awkward. Well, that's unique. Yeah. Wow, yeah. that sounds interesting. As former artist managers, our our worship team, um, they've they've Oh, they gotta hate us. They gotta yeah, they come up against some some critical ears every now and then. <laughs> <laughs> but Jason and uh just shout out to Seth Mosley and Sam Hart for writing just a really great song. And um man, I got to I got to sing. Uh, it's a little background vocal on this. You know who, can I be honest? You know who they did not call to sing background vocals? Me. Did you, did you not get the text? No. <laughs> oh. Well, baby, I don't know. Maybe, maybe your phone crapped out at that time or something. Maybe you missed it. I don't know. Had to be. Yeah, we'll just go with Had that. Had to be it. Had to be it. Yeah, so you were in the, the gang vocals? Is that what happened? Yeah, there? it's fun. Can it's we fun. hear your voice? Probably not. Who else, was, who else was in the background? Because? We had uh, Jason, obviously, our worship pastor, and his wife, Laura, jumped in. It was oh, a she fantastic can sing. vocal. Yeah, she can sing. And then, obviously, Kim Wascom, our, our, oh, yeah. she can our assistant worship yeah. leader. And Caitlin Riddle is uh-huh. uh, jumps in on BGVs on, on verses, I think, two and three. Yeah. And then uh, myself and J.J. Higgins. Dude, dude, that's an all-star lineup with Mo Tiemann at the headline. Oh, it was so fun. We had a really good time doing it, but conduitchurch.com forward slash revive us. Go enjoy that track, and we pray that you have an amazing resurrection Sunday. <laughs>